0: My name is Charlie Jones and I am a reformed worry <laughs> Do we have anybody else in here that deals with the issue of worry in your life? Well we have one. I might need to change the sermon. We'll try this again. Do we have anyone in here that deals with worry in their life? There you go. That's like almost all of us. I mean when you look at this issue of worry, if you and I aren't careful, well, we can turn into worryaholics, right I mean where we can stew about life and we can get obsessed about things we, we chew our nails gnaw our nails whatever we twirl our hair we toss and turn in bed and we well we sip Maylocks and sneak Valium just to try to get through it and and we stress and we worry about things like what if I lose my job what if my kids get sick what if my kids rebel what if my child has an accident what if I get the swine flu? <laughs> what if they don't like me? What if they don't approve of me? What What about in all these what ifs in life? And, and here's the interesting thing because I'm telling you, there was a period in my life that I felt like you know worry is a spiritual gift, that it's just something that I'm just concerned or whatever, however you want to phrase it. We'll look at the difference between worry and concern because there is a difference. But here's the issue about worry. Have you noticed this in your life? Worry never runs out of gas. Worry never runs out of fuel. Worry never gets to the point that it's just so exhausted that like you just don't have anything else. Listen, there is a period in my life if I didn't have something to worry about, I worried that I was missing something. And so you create things. And Jesus was saying this. Jesus was saying, Sermon on the Mount, He said, you know, I, I, want, you, I, want, I want you to come to the point. To your life has the right Priorities and to where you don't worry your life away because when you're a worryaholic boy you'll worry your life away and he was saying I don't want you to be so consumed with your life and worry to where you take matters into your own hands because that's what worriers do right you turn into control freaks and you just try to control every situation and everyone around you because of fear. Now listen, I understand. Don't worry, be happy. Rings on deaf ears when the doctor says a tumor is malignant. When your company or the boss says, due to the downturn in the economy, we're going to have to downsize and more than likely you're going to lose your job. But here's the, here's the interesting thing about worry it's not usually the big things we worry about it's the little things it's the little things that continually add up in our life and before long it overwhelms us I mean worry is hard to get rid of have you ever tried to throw a trash can away in Texas we, we, we didn't have the bins that, that we have here we used our own metal steel whatever trash cans and, and you'd push them to the curb and they'd come and, and get it and whatever And so one year, we had a a, a trash can that was rusted out because rust is a huge issue in Texas because it's so humid, wet, and everything. Had holes on the side, holes in the bottom, stuck it out on the curb, got rid of it. Next afternoon, when I pulled in to work, there it is. And so the next week, I beat it up a little bit more and stuff it on the curb, and, and there it is. And so I literally had to fold it up, bend it, fold it up, and try to stuff it in another one. With a sign just to get them to throw it away. And guess what? Worry is like that. If you've ever tried to get rid of worry, you can push it to the curb in your life. And it's there the next day. And you can make a commitment. You know what? I'm not going to worry about this stuff ever again. And Jesus comes to this point, and he decides, you know what, we got to talk about this. Because a lot of times what gives us worry is misplaced priorities in your life. That's just what Jesus says. And so he comes as part part in, in verse 25. This is what he says, therefore. I tell you, do not worry about your life. I told you earlier, in the Greek, this word worry is really, to us, in the English, it's more anxious. In other words, it's where I, we get our word anxiety from. To where Jesus was saying, don't have anxiety to the, to the future, to, to where you're fearful of life. It's paralyzed. you know this, worry... Carried out to the, to the farthest possible place you can carry it is paralyzing. And Jesus says, Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? So Jesus is talking about priorities and the word therefore. Always means in the Bible that it refers, it's a pointer to the previous section. Remember last week we talked about the issues of priorities in our life where he says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where it's temporal, but understand your priorities, where your heart is. There will your, be, there will your treasure be also. He, says, he said, you can't love God and money at the same time because there's no such thing as a tie. You have people all the time say, I can love both. Jesus yeah, There's no such thing as a tie. One wins. Because he says you can't love both, because you will come to the point you either hate one, and love the other, or hate the other one and, and love the other. He so says you just you can't do that. And so Jesus is now talking about food, and food was totally different in the first century than it was this. Jesus was preaching this message in the winter time, after they had stored up food for the winter. His audience, his listeners, were worried. They were sitting there worried. Do I have enough food for my family till spring comes? Do I have enough food for the new crops to come in? Will I be able to make it? They were worried about their needs. And Jesus spoke directly into their needs. He spoke directly into their provisions. And so don't worry about food. I mean, Jesus was honest. Jesus would... He didn't dance around the issues. And He didn't stay with food. And then He began talking about, don't worry about what you'll you'll wear. I think everyone should go on at least one mission trip in their life there's something about a mission trip to help you understand how much you really have and how our priorities sometimes get inverted there's people that are thankful if they have one pair of shoes there's people that are thankful if they have two changes of clothes And Jesus is saying, don't worry about food and don't worry about what you'll wear because what he stresses is because I'll meet these needs. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, says, don't, do not be anxious. There's that Greek word again. Same word Jesus used. Don't be anxious. Don't have anxiety about anything but in everything but prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the, and here's the result. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't isn't the mind the battlefield of worry? That word guard means to tend to like a garden. It's an unbelievable picture that Jesus will tend to your mind. Pulling out the weeds of anxiety, the weeds of worry. And He'll protect not only your heart, but He'll protect your mind in Christ Jesus. Simon Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 said it a little bit a different way. He says, well, cast all your anxiety. There's that word again. Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Same thing Jesus said. But this word cast literally means to throw on to God. I mean, that's what it literally means. I mean, if you've ever fished, you know to cast a lure, to cast a fly, you have to release to cast. To, for a throw net that they were familiar with, you'd have to take that throw net when you're seining for fish or, 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 or minnows or whatever, and you have, to, you have to release. The word cast, and here's the great thing, Jesus cares about your worries. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't criticize you. He says, you know what, I care so much about you. I care about your anxiety in life. I care about what gives you fear in your life. I care about what keeps you up at night. I care about your worries. And if you will cast it on me and leave it there. Huge promise. I'll guard your heart and mine. Why? Why? Because I care for you. A lot of times in, in relationships, we'll tell people around us, "I ah, don't worry about that. You shouldn't worry about that. And it's, instead of Jesus saying that, hey, you know what Jesus says? You give me your worry. You give me your anxiety. And I'll take it. Because I I care. See, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament the old and New Testament writers talked about this issue Ecclesiastes 1110 Solomon said this so then banish anxiety from your heart in other words it's something that you and I have to do that's why Jesus says it doesn't really matter what you eat or drink or what you wear My, ho- my fa- Heavenly Father your father will care for you see we gotta understand this before we move any further there's a difference between worry and concern and the difference is this legitimate concerns will motivate you and I to action but worry paralyzes you if I'm worried if I'm concerned about my car I take it to the shop to a mechanic if I'm concerned about my health I go to a doctor if uh, If I'm concerned, or if you're concerned that you're not gonna make ends meet, then it motivates you to get on a strict diet, a strict diet, a strict budget. (laughs) I'm gonna get off the subject here. If you have concern about a degree plan, an exam, then concern moves you to study for it. If you lose your job, Concern moves you to develop a resume, update a resume, start sending out resumes, start going on job interviews, start looking for a job. But if you sit at home, you lose a job, you sit at home, and you sit around and twiddle your thumbs and not do anything and say, I hope I get a job someday, that would be worry. Worry paralyzes. Worry keeps you and I from doing anything productive. Concern motivates you, moves you to action. I mean, when you look at this, Jesus is saying the focus the focus from worry to concern. The focus, the problem with worry is it moves the focus off of God. And onto your issue. I mean, I love the happy the, the hypochondriacs tombstone that was recorded. It said, uh, I told you I was sick. <laughs> and that sometimes worry, if we're not careful, well, it will overwhelm us. See, worry focuses. Watch this, worry focuses on the Uncontrollable and the uncertain. You ever notice that? I mean, it focuses on things you can't change anyway. It focuses on things that are uncertain, uncertain about the future. It focuses on things that are uncontrollable. You can't change people. You can't change their decisions. You can't change whether they like you or not. There's a lot of things in life. The older I get, the more I realize there's a lot of things. There's more and more things that we can't even control in life. And if you're not careful, Worry will destroy you. I mean, you can come to the point where you say, God has given me financial security. But what if I lose everything? God has blessed me with a great marriage. But what if my wife no longer finds me attractive? My husband no longer finds me attractive? What if they find someone else? What if they divorce me? What God has promised to protect me? But what if? What if terrorism hits? What if a tragic car accident hits? See, worry is like this. Worry is like sitting in your car in neutral, revving up the engine. It guzzles gas, destroys an engine, and guess what? You don't get anywhere. Worry is absolutely non-productive. It's almost like opening up an umbrella in a hurricane. It's unproductive. That's why Jesus went on and says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I think sometimes that may be the root of the worry. We wonder if we're really valuable. We're really worried if God will, or wondering, will God provide for me? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life see Jesus says a couple of things about the downside of worry the first downside is this worry is a waste of time now that's what Jesus said Jesus says by worrying can you add a single hour to your life by worrying can you change the unchangeable can you change the uncertain I've read these statistics often times about worry and watch this The first one is 40% of the things that we worry about will never happen. Have you ever noticed that? 40% of the things that we worry about never come true. They never happen. 30% of the time we worry about things in the past that we can't change. You ever been paralyzed by worry because of a past decision, a past choice, past thing that you've done that you wish, ah, boy, if I had a do-over, I'd do it over, and you carry guilt? 30% 30% of our worries are over the past of things that we can't change. 12% of the time we worry about other people's opinions of us. It's worthless. Do I mean, you ever try it? Mean, we can't control that. You and I cannot control what people say about us and their opinions. 10% of the time we worry about our own health, which gets worse if we get stressed out. Eight percent of the of, of problems that we worry about, we will actually face. That means ninety-two percent of the things that we worry about, uncertain, uncontrollable, will never happen. Now, I talked after the late early service. I talked with a worryaholic in the foyer, and he says, "You know what? That wasn't very reassuring of me to tell me that eight percent of my worries are true." I'm like, you need help. I mean, you you just need help. He goes, 8%? That's like huge for me. He goes, I was hoping I was going to get some reassurance. But here, worry worry is like this. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. I mean, it just gives you something to do, but it's not productive. It's a waste of time. And then Jesus went a little bit deeper and says, not only is it a waste of time, it reveals a lack of faith. That's when he nailed them. That's when he spoke right into their life and says, you know what? Your issue is this. It's a lack of faith. You don't believe I'll provide for you. You don't believe I'll prov- provide enough food in the winter so you'll make it. You don't believe I'm really going to provide for your needs. You don't, and, and that's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, because I'm the one that will give you rest. That's what Simon Peter said. It, he should have known better than anyone that says, "Cast your anxieties on Him. Throw them onto Him, because He cares for you." And that's why Jesus says, "You have, man, you have little faith." Because here's the issue of worry. Worry will hurt the relationships around you. Worry will destroy the relationships around you. Because you can be so worried and have so much fear of the the future. It will not only hurt the relationships around you, but worry will hurt hurt your testimony. I mean, how do you have a testimony to non-believers that you're just as worried about the future as they are? And you've got a God in heaven that says you're valuable, that cares for you. That's why Titus said this, Titus 2.10 says, In every way we must make the teachings of God our Savior attractive. Jesus went on and he said this, he said verse 26, 28 through 30, Jesus says, and you who, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor and spin. And, and so it's a male and female issue is what he's saying. Labor is what the men did outside the home. Spin is what the women did inside the home. They made clothing, they made other things, they made tablecloths. And so what he was saying is, it's not a male issue, it's not a female issue. We all deal with it. We may deal with it differently, but we all deal with it. He said, they don't labor and spin. yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's Jesus was just saying, I'll meet your needs. I may not meet all of your wants and all of your desires but I'll meet your needs and he goes on through repetition and says so don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for listen the pagans run after these things and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them and so he was saying, live like live differently I mean, the pagans this is their priorities in life I mean, the pagans run after these things the word run after means intense pursuit It means something that you're chasing. What are you chasing? You chasing after God? Are you chasing after something else? Because if you're chasing after something else, you're going to struggle with worry. See, maybe the reason that Jesus didn't worry is he was never in a hurry. It's one of the most amazing things about Scripture. You never see Jesus in a hurry. I mean, people were more important than things. People were more important than materialism. Relationships were everything to Jesus. I mean, people were not an interruption to Him. I mean, you never see Him get frustrated with people because they interrupted Him. Now, Saturday night, I made a statement, and I says, You know what? In all of Scripture, you could never find a time when God is in a hurry. I went home and started thinking about that statement, and I realized I was wrong. Now, we've heard preachers, I've heard preachers all of my life say, God's never in a hurry, and you shouldn't be either, and all that stuff. There is a time that I could remember one time that God was in a hurry. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, his father was the picture of God in heaven. And when his prodigal son rebelled and went away and spent all his money on wild living and wasted the inheritance and everything else, the father God was on the front porch. And when he saw the prodigal son return, it says God ran to meet him and greet him. God pursues you. You don't want to know what God chases after, it's you. And he didn't condemn him. He didn't judge him. He forgave him. And he welcomed him in. Some of you, God is chasing right now. So you have little faith. Just trust me. Just come back to me. See, the antidote to, to worry is to trust in the Lord. Jesus goes a little bit deeper, verse 33, and he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Watch, this is important. And all these things will be given to you as well. Clothing isn't bad, food isn't bad. Jesus never condemned that. Jesus just said, Right priorities. Jesus says, You get your priorities right. You chase after me. You seek me. You seek my righteousness. You seek my kingdom. The good news is this. All of these other things will be added unto you, worry-free. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We all know that, right? So, so Jesus was saying, learn to live, learn to focus on the inter- eternal and not the temporary. Learn to focus on the eternal and not the temporary. We looked at this last week. Jesus said, Jesus, seek seek my kingdom, not your kingdom. You seek your kingdom, you get your priorities wrong, you will have worry. Instead of chasing after things, chase after me. In other words, learn to have an eternal perspective in life. The second thing he says, if you want to get rid of worry in your life, learn to live one day at a time. Man, this is so hard, especially when you're a recovering worry-aholic. I mean, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, and guess what? It still applies. We still need to hear it today. Don't worry about tomorrow but concern yourself with today. I can almost imagine Jesus smiling when he says, because today has enough trouble of its of its own. And they probably smiled back at him. I'll never forget a few months ago we took a vacation and we took our youngest daughter, Amanda, who's finishing up college, with us, and we flew into Pensacola, Florida, which is a really small airport. It's barely an airport. And uh, we got a -a rent-a-car, drove to Destin, spent a few days in Destin. We came back, our flight left at 6.40 that morning, we got up at 3 that morning, loaded up in the rent-a-car, headed. Everyone told us, it's such a small airport, hour there before your flight leaves is plenty of time. We got there an hour and a half, just to be sure, because I hate to miss flights in this day and time. Got there an hour and a half, dumped off the rent-a-car, stood in line, and TSA had like this huge meltdown. I mean they literally it was just a meltdown they were sending luggage back four and five times people are yelling and screaming and people are upset it's early in the morning and and all this stuff they were taking laptops and making people power them up I haven't seen that in years they were taking cameras with telephoto lens they were taking them off the body they're looking through them, making sure there's nothing in there I mean it was literally insane they even had a TSA Nazi and she's like yelling and screaming at everybody like school children and stuff like that and so And meanwhile, you know, you're watching the clock go, and you're watching them call your flight. We heard them call our flight. We heard them say, you know, last, last call or whatever in the flight. And so we got through. We had like a few minutes left, and Karen took off running, and uh, down there. And as she got down there, they closed the door, and and Karen's like, no, you can't do that. And she says, I'm sorry, I just did. He says, no, you can't do that. I got, we got three people. We got eight other people behind us. You got to let us through. And they're like, sorry, we've already done the manifesto and everything. And and this airline has some new policy. Got to be—they close the doors at 10 till, and we weren't aware of that. But anyway, so, so I'm watching this, and I know that we're not getting in. So I just go over to the booth and look at the guy and say, "Hey, buddy, uh, you're going to have to get us another flight out. When can we get out?" Okay, flight left at so supposed to 6:40 a.m., and he goes, "Man, I'm sorry to tell you, I can't get you and your wife and your daughter out till 6:40 p.m." I'm like, "You're telling my wife." this is on you I was here an hour and a half ahead this is on you he says you know what I'm not I don't care how you break I I'm, I'm not telling her I don't care I'm not care i am not i you just gotta tell her so so I said hey Karen we're not getting out till 740 and, and if you know anything about Karen you know she hates to sit and she hates to wait she hates to feel like she's not doing anything and so so we're in this small airport and no Starbucks and and no restaurant all there was, was was a sandwich vending machine with two to three week old sandwiches type stuff, you know. And so she's just sitting there. And so, so she got her seat and she had, she had a bad attitude. <laughs> so I conveniently went for a walk. And so I went for a walk to give her some time. And so I met some locals and said, hey, what's around here? They says, this is just so cool, a mall a mile away. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Who puts a mall next to an airport? But this is, yeah. I mean, thank you. Of all times, I need a mall. And so I go back to Karen. And by the time I got back, Karen had her Bible out and her, her journal out. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, I just need an attitude adjustment. She says, I am so mad and so frustrated. We're going to waste a whole day. And I go, well, good news. I found us a mall. And so I punched it into the Garmin. And literally, we walked a mile with luggage in hand, and I had a Garmin out like this. I'm like, "Okay, t- turn right here, turn left here." Took us a lot longer than the Garmin said, uh, but we got there. And here's the cool deal: because of all of our luggage was checked and our carry-ons were pretty full, it was really a shopping day. What could they buy? I mean, for me, it was like stress-free. I mean, I mean, they always they always talk about going shopping. That's not shopping. That's buying. But I knew this day it was truly a shopping day because I'm like, hey, you can't buy anything, sorry, not me, them, you can't get it on the plane. And so her and Amanda took off, I sat in the food court, we ate, ate a meal, a great meal, hung out, went back about 5 o'clock, got on the plane, flew back, and we're coming back in, in on the airplane and Karen goes, you know something, this was a great day. This was a great day. I had a meltdown, I was worried that I was wasting time. She said, I can't remember the last time me and Amanda got to spend a full day together just shopping in a mall without being hurried, without being interrupted, without being stressed. She said, Charlie, this was a great day. If if I had worried about wasting the day, I would have missed that day with Amanda. Worry will paralyze you. Worry will keep you. And that's why, that's why Jesus said, trust God, trust your heavenly Father that, that He's in control. And that He'll take care of everything. See, I've learned, deliverance is not always the answer. The deliverer is the answer. Deliverance may not be the answer. But it's the deliverer. You know, my daughters, one's married, out of college, uh, teaching. My other daughter is graduating uh, in December, we hope. And and uh, I was look. I was thinking about parenting all those years. I can never really. I can never remember a time when my kids came to me and said, "Dad, we're worried that you're not going to provide for us. We're worried that you're not going to. We're not going to be able to eat breakfast in the morning or lunch, Lord, Dad. We're, we're worried." I mean, they've never come to me and said, "Dad, we're concerned. What is your debt ratio? I mean, what what interest rate are you paying on the house mortgage?" i mean what what's the car payment what are your bills so that i know that i have some security no you know what we as parents our kids ask for the moon and you know what we say sometimes we get aggravated and say what what you think money grows on trees you know why they think money grows on trees because their trust of you because they know you love them and you care for them and you'll do anything you can to provide for them a family after this told me about their four-year-old child just had their birthday and so they're doing the birthday celebration he opened up his gifts and he was going over his list and on his list he had he wanted a roller coaster <laughs> and he says I am so bombed. nobody got me a roller coaster he was like shocked do you trust God enough to ask for the roller coaster of life do you trust him enough where you know you have value in him and he loves you and he cares for you and he'll do anything he can to provide for you and that's why Jesus said oh you have little faith I'll provide for you you seek me first all these things will be added to you as well without worry we have a saying in our house that Amanda started, because like I say, I've had a history of worrying and trying to overcome it. And so when I get, would get obsessed or start talking about something over and over on vacation, in fact is, she looked at me and said, "Dad, let it go." One word for you, Dad, let it go. And I'm like, Amanda, in case you didn't realize, that's three words. She says, "No, Dad, the way I say it, it's one word, let it go." And so, so we have this saying in our family. When people get worried about stuff that is uncertain and uncontrollable, it's just bringing the house down, and, you know, we'll look at them. One word for you, let it go. And we, we've even started it on our staff. Maybe you need to start that in your family. Or you just look at each other and say, you know what, one word for you, let it go. Just let it go. That's what it means. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you.